Welcome to the Scoop and School podcast. Do they worry you at all? Are you worried? Ridiculous, What's happening, everybody? Welcome to week 10 of the college football season, and welcome to Maction. As I record this podcast, the entire Mac is all 12 teams are, are up and playing here on this beautiful Wednesday night. Great to have them back. And if you're looking for college football uh, during the middle of the week, they're playing an exclusive, uh, exclusively middle-of-the-week schedule. So, you know, Tuesdays and Wednesdays, you are going to be able to find uh, some some MAC college football uh, each, each and every week here uh, through the end of the season. So pretty exciting stuff there. And every time we get some more college football teams back, it's good news. Also excited to welcome the Pac-12 back into the college football picture this week. How's everyone doing? Busy, busy week here in the world. There's a lot going on. I don't know if you're, you know, all aware of the general, uh, you know, the, the goings on in this country, but there is uh, there is quite a bit happening if you uh, if you take a look. So, you know, just just something to think about there, everyone. Be a be a citizen of the world. Be a global citizen. Um, yeah, just a, a busy week for our nation. Busy week for me. And uh, and at the same time, I am uh, I am heading towards the biggest regular season Notre Dame game since since I was uh, since the week I took the PSAT in tenth grade. So certainly a lot going on. Let's stop wasting time and uh, and let's talk about last week. Uh, first, just not not necessarily uh, related to any game, but just related to. Uh, last weekend, big shout out to Steven with a PH, um, the the UCF fan who you might just be thinking I'm talking about myself here, uh, but not the case. Uh, gentleman who uh, was wearing UCF gear at the public house. Uh, I just wanted to shout that guy out and uh, and remind everyone that UCF was named the 2017 Scoop and Score National Champion. Um, but beyond that, uh, I'm disappointed. I uh, went three and three with my picks last week. I'm gonna I'm gonna make some excuses here if you'll give me the if you'll give me the chance. I mean, BC, Coastal Carolina, and Wake Forest all easy winners. Uh, the the Kansas State West Virginia game I gave it out on Monday. By Friday, we pretty clearly knew that game was fixed. Uh, I, I mentioned that the line seemed like the fix could be in back on Monday, and the fact that it had shifted as many points as it did by Friday. I hope you were just wise enough to stay away from that one because that was the most fixed game of the year thus far. And then with Notre Dame and Ohio State, I, you know, I got screwed. Um, Notre Dame was the, uh, I should say Georgia Tech was the beneficiary of a, of a 90 plus yard fumble return for a touchdown. And and also got stopped at the doorstep um, as the game ended. So certainly uh, with an 18 point win there, incredibly close to covering. And, and if that if that scooping score doesn't happen, uh, covering easily. And then Ohio State, you know, laying 13 and a half wins by 13, including a missed chip shot field goal right at the end of the game. So we were really close to five and one. Uh, ended up three and three. But as they say, before you can start winning. You have to stop losing. 
and I do feel comfortable. I think I'm confident we stopped the bleeding last week. That's what it was about. It was about putting that Band-Aid on, getting to 3-3. Three and three. Now, when we start to steer this ship and we're moving forward, we're going to have a good week. We're, we're cutting it down to just three picks this week. I'm confident. I think we might just go 3-0. and oh. You might want to you might want to play the scoop and score parlay on this one, but we'll get into those picks a little bit. Uh, in terms of the games last week, going to hold off on, on Clemson BC talk just because a lot of that will tie into uh, my preview of the Notre Dame Clemson game. Just going to listen, I'm, I'm obviously going to have a lot to say about Notre Dame and Clemson. Going to save that for the end so I can, who knows what kind of tangents I'll go off on. Uh, that'll just give me the opportunity to uh, to keep going and going and going with whatever might pop into my head. Uh, without cutting into potentially talking about other items of note. Um, but last week, Texas, and, and I think the most important game of the week, Texas did knock off Oklahoma State in overtime. And this is just sort of what Oklahoma State is. Uh, they're, you know, next week, they not this coming week, the following week, they're going to play Oklahoma in Bedlam. I'll probably pick them to lose that game. They're a good team that can't seem to beat the big boys in the Big 12. Uh, even There's a reason why so often they've really been uh, a talented team. They've gotten high rankings, but they can never come out of the Big 12 because there's no way they, they can never beat both Texas and Oklahoma. Um, a lot of times they can't even beat one of them. And, and it's, it happened again, uh, despite the fact that Texas is down. Uh, as we As we talked about as a possibility last week, offense just wins out. And, and I thought that Maybe Texas was down enough um, that that Oklahoma State would be able to control the game on the ground, and for a chunk of it, they were they were sort of able to do that. But again, offense wins in college football. And Tom Herman, I should have this stat handy. I don't, but I think he's something like six and five straight up uh, when unranked and playing a ranked team. That's a pretty incredible stat. Uh, if, if anything, it might almost be like an indictment of Tom Herman that he's clearly unranked with a really talented team way too often. Um, but still a, a pretty fascinating stat. You don't want to be going up against an unranked Texas team uh, if you are a ranked team. But uh, that that could be the final nail in the coffin for the Big 12 and the playoff. I don't say that because there's no way that a, a one-loss Oklahoma State couldn't get into the playoff. I just don't think there's going to be a one-loss Oklahoma State at the end of the season. I, I think all of the teams in the Big 12 are going to have at least two losses, maybe three by the end of the year. And I, I don't think, you know, there, it's possible that a two-loss team could find its way into the playoff this year. I don't think it is possible for a Big 12 two-loss team to find their way into the playoff this year. So, Good night, I think, uh, in terms of Pac-12, I, I, sorry, Big 12 relevance um, going forward in the playoff. Um, another, you know, major game, major in, in air quotes, Ohio State, as I alluded to, beat Penn State by 13. They, they just won the game really easily, despite uh, despite a couple of really great catches from Jahan Dotson, really nice player over there at Penn State. OSU just looks like a machine right now. Fields looks, I talked about it last week, Fields looks better uh, than he has uh, in the past. Seems like Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson are just open like 
eight to 12 yards down the field on every single play. He's just throwing to the sidelines. Master Teague was able to run fairly easily against this Penn State front. I don't see Ohio State being challenged at all in the Big Ten. Now, if they're not challenged, could that ultimately uh, create some problems for them when they get to the playoff? Usually that's not as much of a factor. You know, certainly in basketball, uh, we often say it's it's really important to be challenged in your conference schedule so that you're tournament tested and ready for the NCAA tournament. I don't think we've really seen that as an issue in college football, um, and, and I don't really expect it to be an issue here because this, this Ohio State team is is just humming along right now. And when I talk about them not being tested in the Big Ten, we we have to go uh we 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 have to go north from Ohio to Michigan and and note the outcome in Ann Arbor. And and Michigan State knocked off Michigan. Um <laughs> I guess I, I owe an apology to the Michigan State fans. Again, not sure if there really are any Michigan State fans listening to this podcast. But uh, I, I had pretty much written their obituary uh, for the next decade last week. And then they come out and, and handle Michigan. Um, and, and I say handle because this wasn't a situation where, you know, Michigan had a bunch of turnovers or anything fluky happened. They just kind of controlled the game from start to finish. I guess in terms of fluky things, the fact that, that Michigan State had, had what, seven turnovers uh, the, the previous week, perhaps I should have been looking at that as... Uh, a sign that, you know, they were not as bad as I thought and could have turned some things around. And they really did. Um, so congratulations to Mel Tucker getting his first win uh, for for Michigan State. And on the Michigan side, I don't know, there's, there's not a lot. There's not a lot that I can really say about Michigan without it sounding like I am enjoying, <laughs> enjoying the, the, bit of a downslide, early season downslide for for Michigan here. I mean, Don Brown, defensive coordinator, is an aggressive defensive play caller. Uh, he blitzes a lot, and he plays tight man-to-man coverage on the outside with receivers. Because he does that, that often leads to the result we see against Ohio State at the end of the year, where Ohio State has the athletes to beat that man coverage and put up huge points. The fact that it happened against a Michigan State team that doesn't have nearly the athletes of Ohio State has to be concerning if you're a Michigan fan. Uh, The entire Michigan State game plan seemed to be just run deep and we'll throw it and either we'll, we'll complete the pass or there will be a penalty called. And for the most part, that worked. Now, a lot of this is just probably the product of, of Ambry Thomas, the number one cornerback coming into the season, opting out. Um, and and being one of the the Big Ten players who actually didn't return once the season was back on, so so that's certainly um, I, you know we don't I'm not going to call it an excuse, but that's certainly a reason for uh, why Michigan would have some struggles in the secondary right now. But what it doesn't excuse is is what's going on with the offense um, after Joe Milton looked like you know he was unstoppable the week before against Minnesota couldn't really get anything going on the on the ground or through the air. Um, you've you've got the you know strange decision making of of having a, a wildcat play where you've got a running back throwing a pass, even though your your quarterback is mobile enough to begin with. So I don't know, definitely some questions to be answered on both sides of the ball for Michigan. They can still write the ship. 
um, and and you know get to like a six and two, and and it's a respectable year at that point. But now we're we're at a point with Michigan where where this game coming up at two and zero Indiana, I should say, is incredibly important uh, for the season, and I think just uh, the perception around that Wolverine program right now. Um, Looking at other games, I'll, I'll just note Texas A&M was able to beat Arkansas. Uh, it was somewhat close, as I uh, as I suspected it might be. I'm just going to, at this point, keep reminding you every week. So, what, last week uh, was October 26th when I said it. Um, I'm now reminding everyone again on, on November 4th I'm recording this. Texas A&M is going to be lurking for a playoff spot. No one is talking about them right now. I, I look forward to the first time I'm watching game day, and I expect it'll be like two weeks from now, like game day on maybe uh, November 21st when Kirk Herbstreit's going to say something like, you know what, Texas A&M's got a shot at the playoff. And I will just sit there and chuckle because I said it three weeks earlier. Just watch out for it. Texas A&M is going to be in position for a playoff spot, um, really just on the back of getting blown out by Alabama and beating Florida. Um, but, but that's the way this college season is. Uh, there's, uh, you know, the, the big 12's down, the PAC 12's not playing enough games probably. Um, so just certainly, uh, something to keep an eye on there. Uh, and then I guess last, uh, you know, certainly not something that matters in terms of the broader, uh, landscape of college football, but Auburn crushed LSU 48 to 11 and just, uh, you know, that this is the defending national champion who's now two and three, and this season has like real three and seven potential for the LSU Tigers. So uh, certainly uh, an interesting development there. And then Virginia knocked off North Carolina, another high-scoring affair. I mean, North Carolina is about as weird a team as there is. They just they play different games within each game. Uh, we saw it in their loss against Florida State. We now saw it in their loss against Virginia. They go on these scoring runs, but they also dig themselves into these deep holes. Uh, so who knows what to expect? I mean, they're clearly capable of scoring pretty much at any time. Uh, but but boy, that defense has some problems and and not quite the year uh, that they were hoping for down in Chapel Hill with Mac Brown. But still has uh, they still have a chance to do some damage. They, they're going to get a chance to knock off Notre Dame in a couple weeks, uh, depending on what happens there and, and with Miami and some of their games coming up. North Carolina could still find themselves playing in the ACC championship game. So uh, certainly not going to throw in the towel on their season yet. Um, I don't think there is anything else really to talk to... Uh, talk about from last week. So I, I think we can look ahead to what's a pretty fun weekend in college football. And part of the reason it's fun, we've got two true marquee games, which is, I think, the perfect, you know, you get an afternoon game, you get a night game. That is the that is the bedrock of a great college football weekend. But the real beauty here, we've got good Friday night action, and we've got the return of Pac-12 after dark with two televised Pac-12 games kicking off at 10.30 Eastern. I don't know how many of you watched that Minnesota-Maryland game uh, this past Friday, but it was an awesome game, and it's it's a good Friday night game can really start your weekend off right. And we've got two of them, potentially, coming up this Friday. We've got Miami at NC State. Uh, again, if you are a... If you're a Notre Dame fan, this game is pretty important because... 
if if you're assuming that you're going to lose one game in the ACC, you need Miami to lose a second game in order to avoid just kind of crazy tiebreaker scenarios. So if 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 you want to be in the ACC championship game, um, certainly uh, all Miami games going forward, if you're a Notre Dame fan, are worth keeping an eye on. And this could be one of Miami's tougher tests uh, left in the regular season going to NC State on Friday. I I see a lot of NC State scores, and they're all over the place this year. I haven't watched much NC State actually on the field, so not, not a lot I can tell you. Uh, sorry, I, if you came here for college football analysis, I've got nothing for you. But uh, I would expect this one to to certainly be a competitive game. And, uh, and you know, Miami, after, after, after getting, you know, beat up pretty good by Clemson, is just kind of steadily taking care of business and creeping back towards um, the top 10. So, I mean, here, let me, uh, I, I can check... And check right here live. Yeah, they're at 11 right now. Um, so, you know, another win and, and a few a few top 10 teams fall out. And Miami's right back there, kind of in that uh, that Texas A&M range that I keep talking about. Um, although, unlike uh, unlike Texas A&M, Miami probably would have to go to the ACC championship game in that kind of scenario. But um, anyway, getting getting off on a tangent there. So that that is certainly a game to start off your uh, start off your weekend on Friday night, and then later on Friday night we've got BYU at Boise State. Uh, BYU number nine, seven and zero at this point. Boise State only two and zero, but number twenty one. And BYU has legitimate playoff aspirations. I mean, they've they they haven't played a really tough schedule, but you know they. They they took care of Houston on the road. Um, they they're putting up big scores on people, which is obviously important in terms of the committee evaluating how good a team is. And you know, Zach Wilson is is really you know putting up legitimate stats at the quarterback position. This is a good team that I don't know if they're going to be able to make the playoff, but they also would like to get into a New Year's Six bowl spot. And given that they are an independent, there is not a they don't have access to that highest ranked group of five spot. So if they want to get into a New Year's Six Bowl, they have to be an at-large pick, um, which would certainly, I think, require being undefeated. So uh, this is this is the biggest test left on their schedule. They're going to Boise, playing on the blue turf, uh, and, and this is the, the biggest game of their season. We've been pointing towards this one uh, pretty much since BYU crushed Navy uh, to, to open the season. So certainly going to be an exciting game there. Uh, if BYU loses, that's pr- you know good season, but pretty much the end of BYU. And if they win, we now spend the rest of the year talking about do they have a legitimate playoff case. I still think the answer is probably not, but they'll be in really good position uh, for a, a New Year Six Bowl, you know, how funny would it be if, if ACC member Notre Dame ends up playing independent uh, BYU, say, in a New Year Six Bowl? It is, uh, it is a strange, strange world we're living in here in 2020. Moving ahead to Saturday, uh, I already mentioned Michigan at Indiana. Indiana has... Legitimate hopes of, of of challenging Ohio State. I think I, I, they're not going to be able to challenge Ohio State, but I think they can at least keep the dream alive um, another week. I think you know this is a this is a huge game for Michigan in terms of do you fold or 
did you take that loss personally, get a little bit angry, and now you flex your muscles again and show that that you are probably the second best team in the Big Ten? I don't know which way to go with this. Um, you know, the fact that Michigan was one of the teams that had multiple players opt out and then not return leads me to question how much buy-in there is around that team right now. Um, I I don't purport to know um, what uh, what the vibe is there. I think ultimately playing the the two and zero role versus the the one and one limping in Michigan team for Indiana. I don't think that that's a role that they're going to enjoy very much. Uh, there there is certainly more pressure on them than on Michigan in this game. I think Michigan does bounce back and ultimately gets the win in that one. Um, also at noon. And this is not uh, this is not incorrect information. This is a noon Eastern game, 9 a.m. Pacific. We've got Arizona State at USC. Quarterback battle, young quarterbacks, Jaden Daniels versus Keaton Slovis. I heard it reported that Arizona State is having breakfast at like 4:30 a.m. local time. I mean, this. first of all, this should be a pretty good game. Uh, if you don't remember Jaden Daniels from last year, guy was an absolute stud, uh, single-handedly helped Arizona's, uh, Arizona State beat Oregon in in, a, in an exciting late game. And Keaton Slovis obviously took over for JT Daniels and was, uh, was pretty awesome throughout the entire year. This should be a fun game and, and two of the best teams in the Pac-12 South going at it. What do we do with the 9 a.m. start? Uh, the over-under in this one is 58. I leave it up to you, listener, to decide if being incredibly tired is more likely to help the offenses or the defenses. I would think it's easier to roll out of bed and play offense than it is to roll out of bed and start hitting people. So I would, I know a lot of people would say, oh, it's going to be sluggish and sloppy, take the under. I sort of see the opposite side of, oh, these these linemen and linebackers are going to have no interest in in tackling. Take the over. Um, that number sitting at about fifty eight right now. But the number that I like uh, even more than that. Give me Arizona State plus the ten and a half points, and I'll give you two reasons. Number one, as as I said back in August and, and early September, early season. If you if you're going to get that many points with a decent team, just take them because these teams are not fully prepared to play, even though it feels like we're in the middle of the season. This is the beginning of the season for the Pac-12. They did not have a lot of prep time. You know, they had the wildfires out there. They had local regulations that didn't allow them to practice very much. Um, So certainly likely to be uh, a lot of rust to kick off. And and if we're getting that many points, always going to roll with the underdog in that situation. Secondly, isn't Herm Edwards the kind of, I, I'm pretty sure he's on record as like being a guy who wakes up at like 3 a.m. Like that's just kind of his, you know, normal routine. I just think that he as a coach is going to have his team as ready as possible to play a 9 a.m. kick. I mean, we <laughs> just mentioned like the 4.30 breakfast. This is the kind of thing. They're going to be up. They're going to be ready to go. I think they might win this game outright um, and start the can you fire Clay Helton amid a pandemic uh, narrative. But I, I think there's a chance Arizona State wins this outright if you want to uh, play the money line. But certainly my first pick of the week, taking the Sun Devils plus 10 and a half. And I think Jaden Daniels vaults into an early, uh, can can you play like six games and win the Heisman? He might have a really nice day in that one. Um, then 330 
the uh, the cocktail party, Florida, Georgia. In looking at these, so Georgia won 14-3 against Kentucky, which is kind of what we've seen from Georgia this year. Uh, Florida, we saw, uh, knocked the rust off from the missed time due to COVID, uh, smacked smacked Missouri, and, and some of the players did a plenty of smacking with a, with a brawl that broke out. I don't, I don't feel the need to kind of cover all of that, but just a, a mess of a scene down at the swamp last week. In terms of the matchup, Georgia's offense, Georgia's defense, Florida's offense, Florida's defense, the unit that I trust the most, I think a lot of people would say Georgia's defense. I'm going to say Florida's offense. Um, and, and let's go back to the lesson learned last week with Texas and Oklahoma State. Offense wins games in college football. I think this is going to be a battle. Um, you know, good good coaches on both sides, a lot of bad blood. I think that ultimately the Kyles, Kyle Trask to Kyle Pitts, it's enough firepower on offense for the Gators. I think they ultimately knock off Georgia uh, and, and put themselves in the driver's seat in the SEC East to ultimately uh, be the team that meets Alabama in the SEC title game. Uh, I, I Unfortunately, I saw the line opened at like six. Uh, then I saw it around five, five and a half. Was unable to give it out to you then, but I still like the Gators getting three and a half as I see it right now. Um, so, so my second pick of the week will be uh, Florida plus three and a half. Um, also, not going to dive deep into the game, but uh, my third pick will be North Carolina laying ten and a half at Duke. <laughs> you know, bet 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 North Carolina at your own risk at this point. But Duke is a bad team. I think North Carolina should you know be up for the rivalry, uh, especially coming off a loss, and should be able to hang plenty of points on Duke. I'm thinking something like a 35 to 10 final score and a pretty comfortable cover there for the Tar Heels. And with that, uh, you know, I mentioned that you've got the two late Pac-12 games. But between the uh, between the cocktail party appetizer to get yourself ready, and the the Pac-12 after dark action as a nightcap, we've got ourselves quite an entree. The kind of game that Notre Dame fans haven't been able to be as excited about in probably a decade or a decade and a half. In terms of both teams being undefeated, you have to go back to 1993 when a Charlie Ward-led Florida State Seminoles came into South Bend in a one-versus-two battle. Oh, boy. I mean, when uh, without hyperbole, when this pandemic started and we learned... And I'm not going to speak for everyone because a lot of you care about a lot of things more than you care about college football. I know some of you care about college football more than just about anything, and I am one of those people. And when this season was in jeopardy, a lot of people, a lot of Notre Dame fans pointed at Notre Dame Clemson and said, we can't lose that game. We've We've had this game circled on our calendars for three years at this point, and, and, and it's here. And it's not ideal circumstances. There are going to not be that many fans at the stadium. In the immortal words, to, to, paraphrase, to paraphrase to shard choice, it absolutely kills me that I can't be out there. Kills me. I've heard rumors that some people uh, that, that might not be students uh, or, or family of the players or faculty are going to maybe try to find their way into the stadium. I wish them luck. 
as long as they are doing so safely and they are wearing masks, I hope they are successful because I hope that there are as many people in that stadium to enjoy the game as as safely possible. And I know Notre Dame hasn't even come close to sort of hitting uh, its its maximum allotment in terms of what they determined could be safely done. So as long as it's all handled safely, I hope as many people as possible are able to get into that stadium, both for the atmosphere and for their own personal memories, because this is the kind of game that makes college football incredibly special. Did it lose a little bit of luster when Trevor Lawrence tested positive for COVID-19 and it was determined that he would be unable to play in this one? Of course it did. Of course it did. As, as I equated it, it would be like if 2015, you know, Matt Liner was replaced by John David Booty. John David Booty was still a really great quarterback, but all of a sudden you weren't playing against Matt Leinart and Dwayne Jarrett and Reggie Bush and Lendell White. You were playing against John David Booty and those guys. Now, DJ Uyunglele is a really good player. He's not Trevor Lawrence. And he's not Trevor Lawrence both in ways that are are going to help Notre Dame, no doubt about it. But he's not Trevor Lawrence in a way that's going to hurt Notre Dame and Clemson and college football just in terms of bringing the the star power down in this game a little bit. I just buckle up. I'm going to go in a lot of different directions here because believe it or not and you can probably believe it, I've got no notes in front of me regarding this game. I am just speaking my thoughts because it's been a a year's worth of thoughts building up. This is as big as it gets. Not as big as it gets for Clemson, necessarily. Given that since 2015, well, okay, I gotta gotta lie. I do have a note in front of me here because certain numbers had to be written down. And since 2015, Clemson is 76 and five. There's no qualifiers to that that statistic. It's not their 76 and five, you know, I'm, I'm not even cutting out in the middle of a season. I, I could have gone, you know, I could have uh, I could have inflated that number by cutting into their 2014 season. Not even doing that. That is what? 15, 16, 17, 18, 19. Five and a half years. They are 76 and five. Can you even imagine that? What makes it even more impressive? That's 81 games that they've won 76 of. 14 of those 81 games were either the ACC championship or playoff games. These are supposed to be difficult, difficult games against the best teams in the country. 14 out of 81 are against some of the best teams in the country, and they're still 76 and 5. That kind of dominance. We can talk about Alabama, and they've been doing it for a longer time, but this is unbelievable, the run that Clemson is on. They've won 39 straight non-playoff games. 39 straight non-playoff games. We haven't seen anything like this. Even when Alabama was humming along, they didn't have a stretch quite this good. So what's the takeaway with Clemson? A lot of people were glued to that Clemson-Boston college game. I mentioned it earlier, but I'll come back to it. The 99-yard scoop and score. A scoop and score for Boston College changes that game. I I hate to bring it up, but in 2011, first game of my senior year, first drive of the season, 
Notre Dame drives right down the field against South Florida. 99-yard fumble return for a touchdown the other way. All of a sudden, the game was haywire. So, an outcome. Listen, Boston College played well. And Clemson has some holes on defense that I will get into that allowed them to have the lead in that game. But make no mistake about it, without the fluke fumble return for a touchdown, that game is never as close as it was for three quarters. Let's talk about another reason that Clemson is probably going to be better this week than they were against Boston College. DJ Uyunglele learned that he was starting. I can't say that I know for sure, but I can't imagine it was any earlier than Wednesday night. Could have been Thursday. We we know that Trevor Lawrence practiced at least on Tuesday. I don't know if he practiced on Wednesday. I, I sort of doubt it. But uh, so DJ learns that he's starting on like Wednesday night. Uh, so he gets what, a day of practice on Thursday in, in a game plan that was already set up for Trevor Lawrence. And he did pretty well with that game plan. Uh, he, he certainly threw the ball well. The fact that Clemson was losing, other than maybe putting the snap, putting the handoff to Travis Etienne in a bad spot, really did nothing wrong. And when it came time to make a comeback, especially with some of his poise running the zone read, he did it, I think, twice on fourth down beautifully, kept the ball himself instead of giving it to his all-world running back and, and converted. He did well with that game plan. Now he's got a full week of preparation as the starting quarterback in a game plan that will be tailored for him by Tony Elliott. This is going to be a a much improved quarterback and system now that he knows that he's starting and he's had a whole week to prepare. Now where, where is Clemson weaker than usual? In 2018, Notre Dame played Clemson. 30 to 3. We all know the score. Notre Dame fans will also be quick to tell you that game was a lot closer than the score would indicate. Julian Love goes down in the second quarter. Notre Dame did not have a capable third cornerback at that time, and they proceeded to get absolutely roasted, particularly by Justin Ross. Uh, but, but T. Higgins and Amari Rogers certainly did some damage as well. Justin Ross and T. Higgins are not on this roster. Amari Rodgers has gone from like the third guy to the first guy, and he's a good player, but he doesn't have quite the explosive playmaking ability of those other two guys. So Clemson does not have the stable of receivers they've had in recent years. They're really good, but they're not... I was going to say they're not special. They're, They're pretty good. I don't want I don't want to call them not special, but hey, I guess they're not special. They're better than Notre Dame's receivers. But they're not they're not one of the best in the country. They're not Alabama's receivers. Even even with without Jalen Waddle, they're not Alabama's receivers. So Notre Dame. Since the self, you know, the the, the internally discussed rebuild at the end of the 2016 season, Notre Dame is 39-6. and six. Make no mistake, they have been one of the very best te- teams in college football over the last three and a half years. People are going to point to flops in big games. They've lost two close games to Georgia. They went down to Miami in a big game where they had a chance to p- keep themselves in prime playoff position. They got killed. 
They played in the playoffs against Clemson. They got killed. I mentioned it was closer than the score. That doesn't matter. Nobody cares about whether something, you know, was was actually a tight game, but you lost by 27. Doesn't matter to anyone, including including Notre Dame fans. It shouldn't matter. You lost by 27. How do you flip that? But 39 and 6. There's no argument there. But you look across the sideline, I mentioned the 76 and 5. In order for Notre Dame to match what Clemson has done, over the last five and a half years, Notre Dame would now, starting on Saturday against Clemson, have to win 37 straight games. 37, that would mean they win this national championship and the next two national championships if they won 37 straight games. And if they did that, so that would be, they'd be on a run of three straight national championships uh, after having, you know, three and a half good seasons behind them already, then they would match what Clemson has done. That is the gap we're talking about. Notre Dame has been one of the five best programs in college football over the last four years. And they are miles behind Clemson. But they do have a third-year starting quarterback in Ian Book. They've got the best offensive line in college football. They've got two superstars on defense. And they've got a really strong coaching staff. So let's talk matchups. Can Notre Dame contain Travis Etienne, who is, in my opinion, the best running back to come to Notre Dame Stadium since Reggie Bush? We've seen Sony Michelle and Nick Chubb on the field at the same time. Uh, we certainly saw Ronald Jones. We saw Bryce Love. I'm trying to think of any others that pop into my head, but... Uh, We've seen some good running backs. I believe Travis Etienne is the best one since Reggie Bush. Can you keep him from breaking off the big one? I think when when Clemson's offense and Notre Dame's defense is on the field, somewhat surprisingly, I think Notre Dame will have two of the three best players on the field. If you were looking at the three best players on the field in that situation, Travis Etienne, Linebacker Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa and safety Kyle Hamilton are the three best players on the field. Unfortunately, Notre Dame's biggest weakness and, and really only true what I would call hole on defense, their weak side linebacker spot hasn't been figured out yet. And, and they've got a three-man rotation. Uh, one of them is, is going to miss the first half due to a targeting call in the second half of the Georgia Tech game. I have fear that that weak side linebacker play is potentially going to lead to a bust that allows Travis Etienne to break a big run. You know, he's going to get 8, 12, 14 yards from time to time. That's acceptable. It's not great, but you can live with that as long as it's not happening every play like it was for Eddie Lacy in the national championship game. But you can't let him break the 80-yard touchdown on, on second and nine. You just can't allow that. Because that's making it too easy on a freshman quarterback making his second career start and first on the road. You can't let Travis Etienne break the big one. 
That's number one. Number two, if I'm Notre Dame, Clarkley is going to want to confuse DJ Uyunglele. I'm just going to start saying DJ. I think I did a pretty darn good job on the pronunciations. That last one was my worst one, and that's why I'm cutting I'm cutting it off. We're going DJ the rest of the way. The best way to make any quarterback uncomfortable, but especially a young, inexperienced one, is to apply pressure. And unfortunately, for the first time in quite a few years, Notre Dame's defensive line isn't doing a good job of creating pressure. Clarkley likes to bring a lot of different ex- disguised blitzes. I'm going to shout out uh, listener Brian, who he and I always get so frustrated when Notre Dame will bring like a delayed blitz from eight yards off the line of scrimmage because it always seems to get there a half second late. We saw it like three individual times against Jake Fromm last year at Georgia, uh, and, and we've seen it this year. And I think it's, you know, a well-timed blitz and a big sack or, or maybe even a strip sack you know, that could swing the entire game. I love the idea of just a, a complete sellout, blindside corner blitz. I'd love to see a corner blitz. But if we're going to be bringing pressure from the safeties and linebackers on a regular basis, I actually think that's an opportunity for Tony Elliott to, to scheme Clemson into some successful pass plays. Even if you're swinging... Uh, even if you're swinging ETN out of the backfield, which we've seen a lot of this year, he, you know, if, if he just fills the hole that was voided by a blitzing safety, that could all of a sudden be an 85-yard touchdown pass on just like a 10-yard a, a completion. I think Notre Dame has to be really careful about bringing pressure with more than four. I'd almost prefer them to sit back, make DJ, make the reads. And and while, while the the... Defensive line isn't necessarily getting a lot of sacks. They're not giving quarterbacks a ton of time. So if they make him stand back there and go through his reads and and make decisions, then they could ultimately get home with four. I would prefer not to see too much blitzing from Notre Dame in this game. On the other side of the ball, Brett Venables versus Tommy Reese the very best defensive coordinator in all of college football versus a guy that most Notre Dame fans were not fond of in his playing days, didn't think he deserved the offensive coordinator job, were upset when there wasn't really a big national search to go get Joe Moorhead or something like that to fill the vacant OC spot. Guess what? Tommy Reese is doing a really nice job this year. Really nice job. In... in you know, coaching circles is thought to be a really bright young star. And I, and I believe that. I don't, uh, I've got nothing bad to say about Tommy Reese. But he hasn't seen nearly as much football as Brent Venables. It's, there's no way around the fact that this is a coaching mismatch. Now, the coaches aren't playing. And for Clemson, some of their players aren't playing. Defensive tackle Tyler Davis is out. Uh, defensive end Xavier Thomas is going to miss the first half uh, due to a targeting game, tar- targeting call against Boston College. Uh, some some linebackers are out for Clemson, though they've been out for a while, and, and they've been 
you know, they've been figuring it out. And again, they, they've got good players. But this is not the same front seven that Notre Dame faced in the 2018 playoff. Uh, the, the defensive backs aren't as good either, although Notre Dame's receivers are not going to be the difference in this game. Kevin Austin, out. Braden Lindsay, out. Javon McKinley's not getting separation against Clemson. In terms of Notre Dame passing the ball, I think it's a lot of Ian Book rolling to his right and finding guys for 8 to 10 yards. I think that's what the passing game is. Can you complete those? Can you get Brock, uh, sorry, can you get Michael Mayer involved? Can we get Tommy Tremble more involved? I think the best chance for success in the passing game would be if Clemson blitzes. If if I'm, you know, a fan of, of each team, I don't want either of these defenses blitzing because I think that's where they're vulnerable. If Clemson sits back, Notre Dame's not going to be able to pass the ball with much success at all. But if Venables decides to bring pressure, that's where Mayer or Tremble could slip through the seam, and it just takes one good pass from Ian Book to get a big chunk play and beat a blitz. Are we all hoping and praying that we get a play-action bomb to Jordan Johnson, a la Chris Brown in, in 2012 at Oklahoma? Of course. That would be great. I think if we see number 15 run on the field, we're all going to start pointing and holding our breath. But it's not too often that freshmen that have been on the field for like eight snaps all of a sudden go make a play against number one. Can Notre Dame run the ball? I think the answer is going to be yes. They're not going to run all over them the way we saw them do against, say, Florida State. But I think they should have some success running. I talked about on defense, the key being to contain ETN. I think on offense for Notre Dame, the key is to stay ahead of the sticks. And that's why the matchup between the Notre Dame offensive line and the Clemson defensive line is the Debraga meets where's the beef matchup of the week. Go to debraga.com, get high quality stuff. I got a delivery this past week. I haven't eaten any of it yet, but it was packed really nicely, I'll tell you that. Use promo code SCOOP, get 15% off your first order. Short ad week, short ad read this week. We got to get back to the football game. I think Notre Dame needs to come in with almost a Navy-type game plan. You can't have a holding call on first down to put you at first and 20. You can't have a run stuff to be at second and 12. You probably don't want to be in too many third and nines when the Clemson defense knows you're passing and Brent Venables can, can dial something up. So the running game is crucial. A lot of people would think that you're not going to win this game if you're Notre Dame by by getting four yards at a time because you're not going to be able to sustain that for long drives over and over against Clemson. Sure, it's harder, but it's going to be hard to win the game. I actually think that's Notre Dame's best chance. Six, seven, eight, nine-minute drives. Converting a lot of third and twos, third and ones. Fourth and ones. You're going to have to go for it on fourth down in this game. Brian Kelly, if you're at your own 40-yard line and it's fourth and one, you've got to go for it. 
You can't be punting on the opposite side of the 50 in this game. That's not going to cut it. That will be unacceptable. You're going to have to be aggressive. If it's fourth and four, don't kick the 49-yard field goal unless it's, you know, a game situation where three points is clearly going to make the difference. Be aggressive. Go for it. You need it in this game. If you have sustained drives, you keep the ball out of the Clemson offense hands. That's your best chance to win. It's going to be challenging. But A, you don't have the horses out wide in order to beat Clemson over the top in the passing game. And with the best offensive line in the country and some very capable running backs and a little bit of, dare I say, weakness through the middle for the Clemson defense, it's your best chance to win. Methodical drives. Stay ahead of the chains. Be aggressive on fourth down. You get four downs. Use them all. I could see Notre Dame going for four fourth downs in this game. Get three out of four, you're probably in pretty good shape. And then at the end of these drives, can you cap them off with touchdowns? Ian Book using his legs is certainly important. Weapons like Michael Mayer and Tommy Tremble are going to be important. Can they find the end zone at the end of these drives? Can Notre Dame win this game? Yes, they can. I'm fired up for this one. I would love to be picking Notre Dame. And it's possible that come Saturday night, they run out of the tunnel, I'm fired up, and I change my mind. But right now, I just think that Brent Venables running that defense and his experience seeing just about everything there is to see in a college football game wins out against Tommy Reese and the Notre Dame offense. I think too many drives for Notre Dame stall in the red zone. I think this is going to be ultimately pretty much a defensive battle. I've got the final score at 24 to 19. I hope I am wrong. I think I could be wrong. Certainly not going to talk about moral victories or what lies ahead. Obviously, a lot will still lie ahead, but we're not going to talk about that right now. This focus is on Clemson. This is as big a game as you get. If you can't enjoy this one, there's no sense in being a college football fan. This is exciting. Enjoy these next few days, everybody. Enjoy the next few days. Enjoy Saturday. Enjoy the cocktail party. Enjoy the lead-up. And enjoy the Notre Dame-Clemson game. If you're a Notre Dame fan, I really hope we all have reason to celebrate on Saturday night. Talk to you next week. Go Irish. That concludes the Scoop and Score podcast. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points and may God have mercy on your soul.